You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to this year's Look Back episode. I mean, when we started this year, I mean, how many of us knew (laughs) what this year was going to turn into? But suffice it to say, there have been some good things that have come out of this year. And so today's episode is going to look back at a few of those things, as well as give you the final, final five of the year. Thank you for joining me here on Why I'll Never Make It. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and 2020 just seemed to be one of those years where with each passing month, something new came along that <laughs> that completely upended the way business was done or the arts or health-related matters. It was just one of those years. And COVID has certainly been the number one story of the entire year, even more so than the presidential election, which was big enough in and of itself. But I think COVID had the biggest impact on that as well, not only in who we voted for, but in how we cast our vote. So in keeping with this year of the unexpected, my husband and I, we got an unexpected Christmas gift, and that was COVID. We had done so well, and I, I, I thought that maybe we were going to hear about it, read about it, but not actually experience it ourselves. However, however, we got it. But fortunately, we have mild symptoms. Uh, I mean, for me, it pretty much feels flu-like. My husband, he has lost some sense of taste, so his is a bit more, I guess, stereotypical of COVID, whereas mine just feels like the flu. And as far as how we got it, our assumption is it goes back to a trip that we took to the Bronx Zoo the Wednesday before Christmas. So that would have been the 23rd. And little did we know how hard it was to get to the Bronx Zoo. There's no really direct path there. Uh, The subway doesn't go there. You can only take buses. And as forward-thinking, as aggressive as New York has been and trying to tamp down and lock down, quarantine, you know, keep people from gathering together in big places, there's one place where they have not enacted such precautions, and that is on their buses. We were actually in one of their elongated, bigger buses, and it was just chock full of people. So, that is where we assume we got it, because other than that, we may walk around our neighborhood, but not come in contact with really anyone outside of this apartment. So what was a special night, a, a great night of, uh, of seeing the holiday lights there at the Bronx Zoo, unfortunately is probably what gave us COVID. So I have to be honest, when it comes to this look back episode, which I do on the anniversary, the birthday of this podcast every year, I, I almost didn't want to make one. It's like, well, let's look back at 2020. COVID. Thank you. That's the end of the episode. (laughs) But there have been some good things when it comes to this year. So I wanted to share at least a little bit of that and celebrate the silver linings, the actual good things that have come about in 2020. (laughs) 
Two great connections that I've made this year came about by joining the Broadway Makers Alliance and the Helium Radio Network. Those are two good things that have happened to this podcast as as it continues to, to grow and impact other communities. Broadway Makers Alliance is basically a conglomerate of podcasters and retailers and service providers that are geared toward the arts community and its workers and its performers and its theater lovers. And they have been a great source of support for me over the past couple of months in being a part of this group. Helium Radio Network is actually something that I discovered going to the podcast movement, that annual conference for podcasters. And with Helium Radio Network, it's basically another outlet that they have about 250,000 listeners each month to their network. And so it just gave this podcast another voice and another place to share our message here. One of the unexpected surprises actually occurred about two weeks ago. As you know, there are many different podcast apps, like, of course, Apple Podcasts being the biggest, uh, Overcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, of course. But one that I recently joined is called Ghana, and it is a podcast app specifically for India. It takes a specific application to be on their server, and once that was accepted, it's kind of crazy how downloads shot up. I mean, that's a huge potential audience. And in just the last two weeks, my downloads from India have surpassed all of my other downloads from other countries. It's a nice little boost there and gave me my highest daily download ever for the podcast. Sometimes downloads can come from unexpected places. So welcome India to the podcast and thank you for listening. Season four also marked the first time this podcast has gone straight through from January to December, releasing an episode each and every week. (laughs) Now, I must admit it was a little tough from time to time, but I made it through and had some wonderful guests along the way, especially once COVID came along. In some ways, it was easier to reach out to guests and bring them on via Zoom and record those conversations. As far as the top five episodes or top five guests that have appeared this season, Lisa Goldberg far surpasses all of them. She is the actually the first episode to reach a thousand downloads. So thank you, Lisa, for bringing your insights and wisdom onto the podcast and for resonating with so many listeners. Number two is Tiffany Coyne co-host of Let's Make a Deal. Now, just from the sheer size of her fan base and social media following, I knew that she was going to create a lot of buzz, and that certainly happened both on YouTube as well as just regular podcast downloads. In the third slot is my good friend Douglas Sills, who was Gomez Adams on our Adams Family National Tour and has been on Broadway for 20 plus years. I absolutely loved our conversation and just so much wisdom and heart came out of that conversation. Number four is Jason Odell Williams. He's a playwright and I took part in his play called Church and State that was off Broadway a couple of years ago. And so bringing him on was a chance to pick his brain about the various work that he's done, not only as a playwright, but even as a producer in television. And rounding out the top five is Abigail Rose Solomon. 
I specifically talked with her about co-producing The Prom on Broadway, but she's an actress herself and has been a part of the production team of other Broadway shows as well. So these five guests have certainly led the way this season in bringing new listeners to the podcast as well as informing and engaging the steady core audience of this podcast. As for me, two episodes that stand out are ones that deal not only with the content, but also the production that went into it as well. The first was the American Sign Language episode that I did back in February. This featured two sign language interpreters that were on Norwegian Cruise Line and did our show Footloose. And it was the first time that I had ever had or seen interpreters for a cruise ship production. I really love the fact that they're bringing theater to deaf and hard of hearing audiences. So while the interview was engaging and very insightful when it comes to sign language, the actual editing and production of it is what really laid the groundwork for the remainder of the season. In the fact that rather than letting an interview play from beginning to end straight through, with that episode, I interjected little nuggets of information or clarification of things that we talked about in the interview. And it is that structure that I utilized in interviews going forward. It's a part of editing and putting together the episodes that I've certainly enjoyed, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. The second episode that meant a lot to me this year was my tribute to Alvin Ailey. Now, the man himself is an absolute master of dance and choreography, and I love the American dance theater that he has created. And so I had interviewed Alvin Ailey dancers and was going to be featuring them during the summer. But then George Floyd and his horrific death happened in front of the whole country, in front of the whole world. And it really changed conversations. There were podcasters that took off for a week or two and didn't release any episodes. Posting on social media even took a pause. And there was a lot of conversation and a lot of focus on Black authors and writers and speakers and those talking about their experience. From that incident and the listening I was doing on my own, I was inspired to take a deeper look into the life and work of Alvin Ailey. So I compiled interviews from the three artistic directors of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I weaved together music, interviews, and biographical information to create a short 15-minute episode. And that tribute to Alvin Ailey was my very limited but artistic way of addressing the very real and heartbreaking and frustrating incident of George Floyd's death. My interview with Chris Eli Black was a particularly poignant conversation of a Black writer sharing his own personal and artistic experience, and it's the kind of conversations I look forward to having more of going forward. And speaking of the future, season five begins January 13th. I'm very excited of the first guest that's gonna come right out of the gates, and that is Justin Guarini. He certainly came to prominence as the runner-up in the very first American Idol, but has gone on to do television and theater and is absolutely just a class act fellow. And it was a joy to talk to him for a couple of hours. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and In Transit holds a very special place in my heart, be, not only because it was a show that, that I got to originate the role in, but 
it was a show that harkened back to my days in high school when me and uh, seven or eight other guys um, got together and we formed a group called the Midnight Voices. It was a male acapella group. And, and, so, and so like, here I was, oh so many years later, getting to be in the Broadway's first acapella musical. So I was like, yes, this, I want, yes, we are doing this. I can't believe it. But it is, was, and forever will be the most difficult show I have ever learned. So that is something to certainly look forward to January 13th, 2021, the beginning of season five. So with all that being said, I now want to give you the final, final five of the season. This is with Sammy Kennold, who is also the final guest of the season. As a director, she's done some amazing work, and she walked us through her own experience in South Korea as she saw how theater was being done in a very safe and effective way when it came to COVID precautions and protocols. It is certainly something that theater here in the U.S. should be learning from. But as you know, the final five questions deal with topics and subject matter that we didn't discuss in the main conversation. And Sammy and I kind of go off in some different directions in this one. So without further ado, here is Sammy Kennold and the final five. All right. Well, now we are here at the final five questions. Number one, if you could have any other job outside of the arts, what would it be? I thought about this a lot. This year, especially, <laughs> haven't we all? Um, <laughs> I, I, I know this has been like like when I came up with these questions, COVID wasn't even a word, so it's become much more relevant now. That's funny. Um, I would produce the news. I think. Oh, okay. I would like work for CNN. Um, like anytime I watch like newsroom or the morning show, I'm like, oh, that looks so fun. Like. And, and, and the speed and the intensity of it is similar to working in theater. Mm. So, um, and it's telling cool. stories. It's all about telling research, stories. getting it right and telling that story. Exactly. So, you know, who knows, maybe a year from now, <laughs> I'll be working at CNN. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, that, that, that may be the only job we can do, you know, when on, on camera or as, or as, you know, because the news is thriving. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Number two, you, you mentioned quite a few shows, but is there a bucket list show that you that you still have to do? I mean, you, you mentioned the opening ceremonies. Would that be like mm -hmm. your top goal to do one day? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's. I mean, I've I've watched all of them uh, back to nineteen ninety two, um, and like have charts on what I love most about each one, and like you know, I mean, it's like it's it's really a hardcore life goal. Now, what is it about that, say, as opposed to producing the Tonys or the Oscars, which is still within the arts, but yet, you know, a sporting event? What is it about the Olympics that captured you so much? Well, I think it's mostly the skill set of theatrical direction, right? Because, um, you know, like Glenn Weiss, who um, directs the Tonys and the Oscars, you know, he really comes from a live TV background. So most of the work that he's doing is like calling camera shots um, and you know, figuring out the programming of the evening. To me, directing the Olympic opening ceremonies is like dreaming up the patterns of how a thousand people are going to form themselves into the shape of a dove. Like that's, that's what's exciting 
you know, I mean, not that Glenn's job isn't exciting to me. I would really love to figure out how to do that as well. But, but I think my training as someone who directs musicals feels like it forays into like the most giant musical of all time, which is the Olympic opening ceremonies. That is true. Cause I remember watching the, uh, the one in Beijing and it was just astounding some of the stuff that they would do and the the visual because yeah it's it's getting a thousand people to do something but then the lighting that goes with it and the music matching all of that yeah it is it is like the ultimate musical theater epic exactly so you know and of course and of course you also have like someone who's you know directing cameras but the 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 theatrical part of it is what i would want to do and so number 3 who is it that you look up to as a mentor or someone that inspires you many people. Um, (laughs) Gosh, I haven't, you know, I haven't thought about this question in a while and like the list keeps just getting longer. Um, So I'm going to talk about someone historical so that I don't leave anybody out because my modern list is, is really long now. Um, uh, uh, So there's a director named Hazel Mackay, who um, was a director at the turn of the 20th century, who directed large scale pageants um, and they were mostly for the cause of women's suffrage. So she would, with like kind of like the Olympic opening ceremonies, have thousands of people outdoors um, uh, creating these massive spectacles. And she did one on the steps of the U.S. Treasury Building that's like very famous in, in women's suffrage history. And it was it's just, you know, from, from the little bits of archival that exist, um, it's all extraordinary and really inspiring. And so, you know, I... I I, I really admire her and she was 25, um, you know, and, and uh, when, when she did that, that one pageant. And um, if you think about someone doing that in 1913, it's kind of mind blowing. And is part of that inspiration, the fact that, that it had such a, a specific message to it and, and, and a purpose? Completely. I mean, I think that like theater is very is inherently political to me. You know, I feel like as a director, I have a privilege of getting to, shape hearts and minds, you know, like it's, it's, it's like a scary form of soft power, you know, like in a way, if you, if you abuse it. Um, uh, so I don't take that responsibility lightly. Um, and, and I admire how she was able to use her form of theater as a form of propaganda for her movement, you know, and, Mm, and, and strive to do I perhaps wouldn't use the word propaganda, but activism. Um, uh, yeah, th- yeah that, that has such a negative word, and, and certainly it can be used. But I mean, th- there is something to be said for we have a message, and we want to get it out to as many people as possible in whatever way we can. And, and that that's the, the basic definition of propaganda. But yeah, yeah I, I, I get what you mean. Propaganda in the best sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The good definition. Good definition. Number four, what is a lesson or trait that took you a while to learn or maybe one that you're still working on to this day? Ooh, many. Um, I think delegation, probably. I'm, I'm not good at delegation, but have become better uh, and I'm still working on it. And that's mostly through having um, amazing associates and assistants. Um, and like the first time I worked with an associate, I was like, it was so hard for me to relinquish hmm. control. Um, and, and it's ironic because I've done a lot of associate work myself. So I know what it's like when a director like doesn't want to let you do anything. Um, but it, it was a process for me of being like, you, you chose this person. You obviously trust this person. Like, 
let, let, let them do their job. Um, uh, because you, you cannot do it all yourself. Like don't, don't fool yourself in thinking that you can. What would be an example of the easiest thing for you to delegate? It'd be like, okay, I really don't want to do that. Fine. You can do that. And then an example of the hardest thing for you to, that you've had to let go of and let an associate do. Well, I think it's less about like important or unimportant tasks necessarily. And more like if I think of my team as a unit, like what's going to play to each of our strengths. Like obviously there has to be sort of like one authoritative voice in the room who's making the ultimate decision. So like interactions with principal characters, big decisions, you know, staging numbers, all of that I put into my domain, right? Because that's, that's my job. Um, but like, you know, um, the, the, I have been so lucky to work with, you know, one of my best friends, um, Rebecca Aparicio as, as my associate on, on two things. And our relationship is like one that has been kind of amazing because she is a director in her own right. And, you know, can, um, uh, like we were doing pre-production for Avita with students from Pace and, uh, there were like two overlapping processes happening at the same time. And so she would go into rooms with some of the students and work on a few scenes and have brilliant ideas with students. And then we would incorporate them into the actual staging. So, you know, I think two brains are better than one, three brains are better than one, two. And I've been so lucky to have teams that I love and we get along and, um, you know, that, that Avita team, uh, which, of, of which Rebecca was the associate and, and our assistant was, um, or not our the, the assistant director was uh, Mary McGowan. Um, I mean, that was like the dream. I mean, it was like the, <laughs> the dream, <laughs> like, um, it just, uh, because we're all friends. So it, 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 worked in a way where there, of course, there was a hierarchy to it, but there also wasn't in, in the sense that, you know, it, it was very collaborative. It was very collaborative. Yeah. Like, and of course yeah. I was the one staging things. And of course, at the end of the day, I made the decisions and of, you know, of course I led the meetings and of course, you know, all these things that are like traditional director things, but you know, it, it was the sort of thing where Rebecca felt, I think, I hope, um, you know, empowered to, to speak at any point, to, to, to contribute at any point. And that's, I think largely because I've had a relationship like that with, you know, with directors that I've worked for. So, um, you know, you, you sort of model how you run your room based on the other rooms that you've been in. Yeah. Yeah. And to get more specific, is there a part of directing that you enjoy most, but you've had to maybe delegate that part or if there's a part of directing you just do not like the least. And that's easy for you to delegate to others. I mean, unfortunately <laughs> the parts that I like the least, I do feel obligated to do myself um, mm -hmm. in the sense that like, I don't really like directing intimacy um, uh, you know, and, and now because it's becoming more of a thing for productions to hire intimacy directors, oftentimes I, I don't, but that directing intimacy is not something that you can say to an associate, oh, you know, you, you go do the sex scene. Like, uh-uh. Um, so uh, that's something I've had to, you know, grow up and do a good job at. Um, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
parts that I love the most. I mean, I just love, I love staging things. I really do. Um, and so typically in terms of delegation, what I'll do is I'll do, I'll, I'll stage it, but then we'll, if we're trying to run two rooms, my associate will go review it. And sometimes when they're reviewing, they'll find new and exciting things that, you know, they'll come back to me and say like, can we add this here? Can we add this here? And I'll be like, that's amazing. Great. Go for it. Um, but yeah, I know some associates like stage, um, but I, I love staging too much to, to give that up. <laughs> right. Give it back, give it back. Let me give do it. it. Back. Let me do give it. it back. It's mine. <laughs> and number five, what is the, the most memorable or useful advice that you've received? Hang on tightly, let go lightly, which is an Ann Bogart quote that, uh, she passed on to, um, Diane Paulus. And then I worked for Diane Paulus for a number of years and, you know, she would say it all the time. And, um, to me, it applies to like every aspect of directing, which is that you cling for dear life to your choices um, and you make strong choices and you run with them. But then when they're not working, you are able to say that was the wrong choice and let, 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 let it go. Um, and I think that applies to like everything. And I think, you know, I know you were saying, um, much of your audience is actors. And I, I, it's often something that, um, you know, I think is like good audition advice as well, because it's like when you come into the room, it's like really important that you have a strong conception of who the character that you're um, performing is. But at the same time, if you get a note um, and, you know, the director says, you know, try it this way or try it this way, you have to be able to flip the switch and let go lightly. So I hold that close. In that collaborative environment that you were talking about earlier, I mean, that's what's so important about being able to firmly hold on to what what it is that you that you know that this is the this is how I want this to come across, but then realize when it's not working. And so maybe maybe we need to do this other thing. My by my like personal major hang on tightly, let go lightly moment was, I mean, every time I cut a set piece, that's always like, hang on tightly, let go lightly. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, which, I mean, I don't cut set pieces that often, but the few times that I've had to, because you're like, oh, there goes a lot of money. Um, uh, but was when we were doing Avita, we had these, um, hanging flower plinths that were flown in and flown out and they covered the, the, the depth of the stage and we were doing Don't Cry For Me Argentina and the people were supposed to be set in specific locations. The ensemble was set in specific locations on stage. And then we were going to fly in the flower plinths in between them. And uh, I'm watching these flower plinths fly, on, fly in and our child, we had a you know, child in the show as every production of Evita does. And our, our child is standing there and I'm watching this flower plinth like careen towards the stage. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, like this, somebody is going to get hurt. This is not happening. And I was like, you know what? There are going to be no people on stage for "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina" because I'm not going to like get this child bashed in with a flower plinth. And it ended up being like completely the right decision for the show. It was like a devastating one for me at the time. And then I was like, 
oh, that's so much classier and better. Um, but it was, it was, it was a big, like, hang on tightly, let go lightly, hang on tightly, let go lightly. Like, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> and this is just my own ignorance. What is a flower plinth? Oh, no, I, sorry. I, I did not know what a flower plinth was before I did this version of the show. A plinth is like, um, on the side of a building when you have like detail work. Okay. When you have like little rivets in the side of the building, it's like a plinth. So we basically had these, these plinths that had flowers on top of them they were like they were like bars and okay indicating with my hands as if you can see me um uh, i know so like the width of the city center proscenium is like i think like 43 feet or something like that yeah yeah so there are these yeah 43 foot bars essentially like wooden wooden platforms skinny wooden platforms heavy skinny wooden platforms that had tons of flowers on top of them and are they kind of like overhanging? Exactly. And, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, very hard to describe, but um, they were there were six of them, and they were all on their own line sets, and they all flew in oh, okay. individually. And we 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 were like, oh yeah yeah yeah, the people can like stand all over the stage, and as long as they have spike tape, the flower plinths will fly in in between them, and nobody will get hurt. But then you're like, well, the second someone steps a foot off of their spike tape, they're going to get whacked in the head, and. I'm not going to be responsible for that. So we are not doing this. Um, so many reasons that you have to let go lightly. Yes. Yeah. And so were the plinths let go across the board or just in that one scene? No, they were, they were in the, they were in the production a lot. Um, but okay. Just uh, in that one scene, you had to cut it. Yeah. Well, the solution, cause interestingly, like, right. Like there, there could have been a solution where we cut the plinths and just did don't cry for me, Argentina with her standing on a box with some people around her, but I didn't, think that was very exciting so we um instead we cut the people and um you know it, it sort of felt a little bit blasphemous at first because you're like there's an iconic way to do don't cry for me argentina and we're not doing right. it but at the end of the day the picture of her standing amongst flowers is has become sort of like the image of our production and like um and and the ensemble stood off stage to one side and they sang um uh they sang the vocals off stage yeah. and it was actually kind of a i mean i can't say it's amazing because i directed it um, but, um <laughs> you can you can take pride in your work i was excited about this moment because you know in reality she's giving that speech to like hundreds of thousands of people so to say like here are 26 people um, uh, in our production, which was so abstracted and so, um, not literal felt like, oh, we don't, we don't need people to illustrate that she's talking to people because she's, she's talking to us, you know, like, yeah. so we can envision the hundreds of thousands of people that are there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the same in our revival production, which, which we actually didn't have a child in ours. So, yeah, so we, we had, it was all adults. So we, there was no, so the mother of child, I was the father of child and we had the mother of the child. So mother sang, I, I think what the child would have sung. And then, and then I, I came in and sang a bit and then we did a duet. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. She just held a baby. Yeah. So that, that's all that was. That's good to know. <laughs> wow. It can be done. My guess is from a producer standpoint, they didn't want a child on tour. Right. It, and, and that just would have been its own cost. So yeah. the artistic decision was was made to do something else. Because in the 
Broadway revival, the, the one that was actually on Broadway, they did have a child, did, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was one of the changes that they made. But that's so smart. Wow. Gonna, so there you go. I, I never go. would have thought that. of that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. See, uh, next time you do a Vita, yeah. right? That's, that's very exciting to know. <laughs> because did, did you get to do that Avita because of, of your relationship with that, with, with Encore producer or through ART or how did that um, connection? It, it actually was because I did a production I did a workshop of Ragtime and uh, Nicole Castrinos, who works at Jujamson, came to see it. She told Jack Bertel, who works at Jujamson, about it. He runs, he ran, he was the artistic director of yeah. Encores. And I just got an email from him out of the blue one day that was like, hi, I'm Jack Bertel. I run this thing called Encores. And I was like, I know. Uh, and it was like, do you want to come and meet about working for us? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the equivalent of Broadway calling. I know. I was like, I wrote back in like 20 minutes and I was like, hi, this is my dream email. Like, when do you want to meet? Um <laughs> right? and you know, I mean the uh, city center has since become a home and Jack and your friend. And so, you know, I mean it's it's like such a gift. Yeah. Cause that just shows the importance of of networking, of doing a good job, no matter who you're working with, because you never know how that bubbles up to someone else. And then you get a random email. I'm, I'm was so honored by it because you know it. It was also like really important for me. You know, well, back to what we were talking about earlier with like my mom that it wasn't somebody being like, "Oh, your mom told me you're a director. Like, come in and meet with us about encores." You know, it was like I this person saw work and Jack. Jack, I, incidentally, Jack is friendly with my mom, but didn't know that we're related. Um, and so you know, I. I at, like in our third meeting, I said, you know, I'm a mom this. And he said, who's your mom? And I said, you know, Dory. And he said, oh my God, I had no idea. Um, and that meant a lot to me that like my biggest opportunity in New York did not have anything to do with that upbringing. Thank you again to Sammy and all of the guests who have appeared in season four. Now, I may be a great host, <laughs> maybe, but this show would be nothing without all of the guests, wonderful directors and actors and writers and artists that have come on this show sharing from their heart about why they haven't made it, why they will make it, why they still yearn and strive to making it. And season five, we'll really be digging into those moments, the times before they hit it big. Even with Justin Guarini, he certainly had a life before American Idol and has had his own ups and downs after American Idol. And all of the guests in season five will have those kinds of stories and experiences to tell. And something else that I want to let you know about Season 5 and a promise that I want to make to you, the listener. This podcast is going to be centered around ways to help you become a better artist, become a better theater goer and lover of this industry. And so advertisements are never anything that's going to be a part of this podcast. However, there are expenses that come with making this podcast, and I would love for this podcast to basically pay for itself. And so in an effort to make this podcast financially responsible for itself, one way that I started doing that a couple of months ago is creating members-only episodes. 
Now, at this point, there's 20 plus episodes that are there for anyone who wishes to become a Win Me producer, as I'm calling it. Just $5 a month not only supports the mission and efforts of this podcast, but it also gives you things like the 12 Days of Auditions, which I did for the month of December, which featured audition stories from previous guests from Season 4. There's also the After the Interview series, which is 10-15 minutes of back-and-forth conversation that I have with guests after the main interview is done. Now, this content can't be found anywhere else, and I've set it aside for those wishing to support and donate to this podcast. Now, at this point, no one has taken advantage of these members-only episodes, but I'm hoping that in 2021, especially as things start to pick up more financially for all of us, that there will be more people in a position to not only support this podcast, but take advantage of all the members-only episodes that are available. They can be found online at donate.winmepodcast.com. There's also ways to support this podcast at a lower monthly amount or just to give a one-time donation. Again, that's donate.winmepodcast.com. I'm your host and producer of this podcast, thanking you once again for being a part of this WinMe community. Dylan Adams is the booking producer. Music in this episode provided by Blue Dot Sessions and Chad Crouch. And in season five, I'm still hoping, crossing my fingers, to bring on a production assistant to the podcast. Now, it would be a volunteer position with the hope that it can one day lead to a paid position. So if you or someone you know is looking for such an opportunity to work in podcasting and gain some experience, Why I'll Never Make It is ready with open arms to whoever would like to come and join us. I wish you the happiest of new years and look forward to the start of 2021 and season five of Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.